with just the prostrations, the prayers, and then relatively the same meditation. We'll just be an arriving body scan and then resting on the breath. So just take a few breaths, however deeply feels good for you. Breathing in through the nose and then out through the mouth. Let your focus land at the tip of the crown of your head. And start to scan down your body and feel your forehead smooth and relaxed. tension melts out of the eyes. Feeling the cheeks and the jaw unhinge. Focus, scan down the shoulders. It's like the shoulders are just melting down the back. Scanning down the arms. And feeling the front and the back of the hand. belly completely relax and soften, feeling like there's a smile spreading across the belly. Feeling the whole pelvic bowl, the pelvic region. Feeling the length and the width of both legs from the inside out. And all the sensations in the feet. Rest your focus in this clear, open, calm, spacious awareness. And let the anchor for your focus be the rhythm of your breath. If you 
notice tension building in the jaw or the shoulders or anywhere else. Just by bringing your focus there, you can feel it release. And then come back to your breath. Each time your mind jumps off and goes somewhere else, as it's going to do, no big deal. Just relax your focus back open. Let go of gripping onto whatever you jump to. Just find the soothing rhythm of the breath again. moments of the meditation, if your mind's not clear and bright and on the breath, bring it to that state, ending on a good note. your name is again? September. September. Okay. This is Gladys. This is Belinda. I'm Heather. Um, okay. So we're starting a new course tonight. It's very exciting. I'm happy to be teaching these again. Um, this course especially, prepping for it, um, it's really amazing. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of stuff in it. So um, it might be challenging in that way, but there's so much good information. It's really great. I'm really loving reviewing it and going through it again. Um, so are you guys familiar with what these courses are? 
Okay. So this is the 11th in a 18 series course. Um, the second of three on a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. Um, so it's totally fine to be coming in at this point on, because there'll be people like at different places of knowledge, but these three are pretty um, general in the topic and they're gonna apply to pretty much everybody at any point in practice. So it's totally fine to drop in at this point on these. Um, so if you want the website where all of the readings, there's homeworks, there's meditation, there's audio for the courses. They were originally taught by Geshe Michael. Um, I can give you that if you want any more resources and you want to do the homeworks, you can, the quizzes, if you want to, there's a final, um, or you don't have to, however you want to approach it. So the homeworks and the quizzes and the final, they're not really difficult, it's, it's just so that you go back and review the material again. And it's, the, he set it up this way because that's how mostly we've learned in school, so we're kind of used to it but you don't have to. Um, so all of these courses were taught by Geshe Michael Roach and then Ami Diller, who's the head of, the spiritual head of this center, she taught them. She taught all 18 and I learned them from her so then now I'm teaching them. So none of it's anything that I'm coming up with or making up or anything like that. It's all from, we'll talk about where everything's from, but it's all from scriptures. So it's nothing... It's nothing new, and it and it seems really new at the same time. You know, studying it. Okay, so this course is the Bodhisattva's way of life, and we're going to focus on patience, joy, and meditation. And today's Wednesday, April twenty fourth, two thousand nineteen. This is class one, and we're going to talk about the perfection of patience which is huge because this is really relevant, I think, probably in all of our lives every single day. <laughs> um, and the AC in here is, it's kind of funky. It'll get cold and then it'll get hot. So when it's on, you'll probably be cold. And then when it turns off, you'll probably start to get hot and then it'll come back on and it'll be cold. It's just how it goes. <laughs> if we turn it down, then it gets like really hot. So, okay, so a good question or a good thing to know is where does this class fit into our lives, into our spiritual life, and what should be its function? And there's four activities that are ultimately important in our lives. I don't think I did a slide on this. So the first one is studying Dharma, studying spiritual things. And this is referring to formal study which is really important to do with a qualified person. Um, and these particular classes that are on Wednesdays are more serious, they're more demanding. You'll, you'll have to put a little more effort into them. Um, and if it feels, you know, if the Wednesdays ever feel like they're too much, then the Tuesday night classes are good. You know, they're, they're amazing too. They're just um, not quite as deep of a dive into the material. Um, and these, these courses on Wednesdays, they should be a little hard. So the first thing we're talking about, four activities that we need to have in our lives, the first one is studying Dharma. Um, the second one is a daily practice, um, which includes meditation, prayers, service, etc. So this is kind of like the recipe for, for your life, for your spiritual life. So it would include some daily discipline if you're in your life. So if you don't have a daily practice, most of the things that we're talking about aren't going to work that well. It really, it really comes out through a daily practice. And at a certain point, think that you're working up to doing like an hour, an hour and a half of practice every day doesn't mean that you have to be doing that now or you have to be doing that next month, 
but that's like the goal. You're working up to that. And maybe now it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever works, but you're, you're working your way up. And as you practice, it, it just naturally starts to build up on its own too. So you maybe push like a tiny bit, but not too much to where you don't want to do it anymore or it feels like a constricted and tight or something like that. So you want to be able to stay relaxed and happy with your practice. And older students um, mostly go through cycles of ups and downs with this. But even if you've studied longer, you want to have daily meditation practice. So the first one, study dharma. The second, a daily practice. And then the third is deep meditation, which can only come from one to two hours of practice every day, um, which you would work up to. And longer meditation retreats are important too. And you'd want to get to the point where you can do two of them a year. Ideally, at some point, it would be two months long a year. So just so you have an, like an outline of where you would be going or be going, or maybe you're already there. So study by itself is not enough. You have to meditate. It's good to have balance in, your, in any practice. And then it's up to us. We have to figure out how to find the time to do it. And so we, start, we just start with what we have now. And then over time, our lives will start to shift and rearrange and change to where we have the time or um, it's not even always the time where we have like the discipline or the drive to do it because sometimes we have a lot of time but we don't but we still don't do it you know so it's almost like for me it seems more when I'm busier I'm I get more done period so it's almost like I have more time for my practice when I'm busier but I don't know if if everyone's lives you know kind of balance that way. So the reason we're doing these things is so that these teachings will work. Because just learning them isn't going to be enough, but it's a really good start. We need we obviously have to learn them to be able to practice them. And all of us can do it. We just have to decide to do it. All of us are totally capable of reaching the ultimate goal of the whole practice of becoming an enlightened being, an enlightened Buddha ourselves. And we're all capable of doing it in this life too. So the fourth thing, um, first was study Dharma, second daily practice, third deep meditation, and the fourth um, you could call laboratory studies. So this is gonna be an environment where you can practice, like um, a job, or a family situation, or a partner situation, anything like that. And really, work is, there's no better place than work to be able to practice Dharma. There's always annoying people there, there's jealousy, there's anger, there's hatred, there's everything there, there really is. Especially in an office environment, really. It's like the perfect place. so it's really not, I think we kind of have this idea that, oh, if I could only go and sit in a, a cave somewhere or go on a retreat somewhere for months or if only I could get away, then I could practice. But um, really what Master Shanti Deva says, he's the, the author of the main text, which we're going to get to in a second, is that it's no good to go and sit in a cave and read the chapter of a guide to the bodhisattva's way of life on patience so it's just no good like why would that be because there's no one to practice patience with there's nobody there annoying you i mean you can annoy yourself to a certain degree but after that you know so without ultimately without a daily practice all of these things we're going to talk about won't work that much So getting into deep meditation and retreats to reach the goals of the practice. Um, You really need irritating bosses, partners, spouses, kids, people you don't even know, which we we have a lot of them. And 
truly, if you, if you don't find annoying people in the rest of your life, then you just come to the Dharma Center and you'll find some there too. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay, so this is the second of the three course series, like we mentioned. I hope you guys can read that okay. It looks a little small. Huh? Um, so Geshe Soltram is going to be coming to teach in May. And he's a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And so, oh, this is what we just went over. Thanks. That's funny. And I did label it. Whatever. Okay, well, here it is now. <laughs> we just went over this. Okay, so now we're going to go over what we're studying. So if Geshe Soljom asks you what you're studying, if you come to his classes, then this is what you're going to tell him. Okay, some part of this. Um, so each week we'll have a little quiz on this, so by the end of it you're gonna, you'll know these by heart if you keep coming to the classes. Um, so the root text is Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life by Master Shanti Deva. Um, and he was alive around 700 A.D., and then we go over the Tibetan in this class, too. So you don't have to be studying Tibetan, but it's just planting seeds. You'll start to really like it the, the longer you hear it. Do you feel like you like it? Yeah, me too. Did you always? Yeah, me either. <laughs> um, okay, so the texts in Tibetan say Jangchub, Sampa, Chupa, Lajupa. So that's a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. And then in Sanskrit, I love the Sanskrit. Um, say Bodhisattva, Charya, Avatara. So you'll hear all together Bodhisattva, Charya, Avatara. And a lot of times it's just spelled as, as one word. And then this is the um, translation of the Tibetan, Buddhahood warrior, how they act learning. And usually you translate backwards to forwards. So it translates to a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, loosely. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like the slang or the, the short, the shortened version of Jangchup Senpa Chupala Jupa is Chunjuk. Chunjuk. So that's kind of like the condensed version of the slang or something. So the short name means just learning how to act. The Chunjuk does. And this this book have do any do you guys have a copy of the book? Okay, there might be some in here, and this is the lending library, so you can take whatever you want, and if it comes back, great. If not, it's okay. But it's a really amazing book. Um, it's amazing for learning how to live like a bodhisattva, and it's very, very famous. Um, it's written uh, basically in poem form, and we're going to be studying the commentary by Gyaltsev J. Um, and the translation of the commentary's title is Entry Point for Children of the Victorious Buddhas. So the children of the victorious Buddhas are the Bodhisattvas. So in Tibetan, say Gyalse, Juknok. Gyalse Juknok. Buddha, child, entry point. That's what the Tibetan translates to. Um, so what is what is a bodhisattva? What's the definition? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there's, so that's what we're training to be. And there's, there's that in the form of wishing to have that. Mm-hmm. And then there's that in the form of where you are a bodhisattva and you already have it. Um, so this is, this is kind of the boring part going over the text and all of that. But it's really good to know that nothing that we talk about here is made up. It's all coming from a clear source. The root text is really beautiful. Um, the way we're going to go through this, so we'll do three chapters and we're gonna, that we'll cover in this course, and they're going to be in the form of contemplations. So tonight, there'll be six different contemplations, and I'll clo- you'll close your eyes, I'll read them, and we'll sit and contemplate for, you know, like a minute or something. And then we'll talk about what it means, and then I'll read it again. And we're not going to be covering the whole Bodhisattva Charya Avatara, um, because usually, like, monks would take about 10 years to study this. I don't know, I don't know how they do all that study. Wow. <laughs> and so I'm... I'm assuming, because they're not in school for like 100 years, so I'm assuming they're studying this for 10 years. At the same time, they're studying 10 other things for 10 years. So I can't even imagine all the details you get. But we don't have, we don't have that kind of time. So Geshe Michael took out like the key points and boiled it down for us. And it's still a lot of information, but we're doing it in 10 weeks. Okay, so... The Gyalse Juknog is the commentary on the original. So that's what we're studying. That's explaining what the original is talking about. And to really get a good Buddhist education, it means thousands of hours in class. Um, and you go home and you think about it, and then you go into meditation and you contemplate it. So you need all three. And it's really good to get into the habit whenever you go to a teaching to think about it at least in the drive on the way home. Mm -hmm. Like review it in your mind. And then if you have the time or space or availability in your meditation practice to do a meditation on it at some point. It could, if you don't have time for formal sitting, it could even be um, just thinking about it and contemplating it while you're driving again or something like that. So just bringing it to mind, and things will really stick when you do that. So we're going to go through the three sweetest chapters of Buddhism really ever written, and it's totally an honor to teach it, and it's an honor to hear it. Um, And we're going to go over the perfection of patience, and then joy in, in doing good things or joyful effort, and then how to meditate. So there'll be three classes on patient, patience, um, three on joyful effort, and four on meditation. Okay, so here's the first contemplation. So close your eyes and listen carefully, and then we'll, we'll stay silent for just a minute afterwards. A single instance of anger destroys whatever good deeds you may have amassed in thousands of eons spent in practices like giving or making offerings to those who have gone to bliss. There is no kind of deed as evil as the act of anger. There is no spiritual hardship like patience. Practice it then. Concentrate on patience in many different ways. Here we're talking about anger and how destructive it is. So 
Now we're going to go over the negative results of anger. So this is all to get us to never want to be angry again. Um, so the first problem with anger is that it destroys good karma. So what we just read are basically the opening lines of Master Shanti Deva's patience chapter. A single occurrence of sharp anger destroys eons of good karma, especially if it's focused towards a bodhisattva. So do we, how do we know who a bodhisattva is? We don't know. So it's basically you just want to destroy anger completely and not even chance it because everybody could be a bodhisattva. I know I'm not, but I have no idea if any of you are or anyone else that I see in my world, everybody else could be. It's really, it's possible because we can't read their minds. We, I can't, I don't know what's going on. So an eon, you could say, is millions and millions of years. So basically, all of our good karma being destroyed is anything that you like in your life being destroyed, like intelligence, a good meal, happiness, um, anything good in your life. That's what, that's what we're talking about. And the question is, is Master Shantideva exaggerating? Is it really possible to wipe out that much good karma that quickly? And ultimately, the answer is yes, it is possible. Master Chandrakirti and other sutras say exactly the same thing. It's, and it's kind of shocking. It's almost like such a big thing that it's hard to even, like your mind kind of just jumps off of it. It's hard to even land with it, you know? So, what Master Shanti Deva is describing is what happens when we get angry. And so how often do we really have that kind of anger that could destroy this much karma or this much goodness? So we could say that anger refers to a low level of irritation that maybe we have really often. Um, I know I do depending on the day. So like traffic jams, too hot, too cold, hungry, too full, you know, all these little irritations that we have. So are those the anger that we're talking about that will destroy eons of good karma? And no, it's not. It has to be focused at a bodhisattva. So think of the last time you got really angry at someone. And maybe it's not that hard to think of. You know, maybe, sometimes we go for stretches where it doesn't happen. Um, but that's what we would be talking about here. And so the way that we would ruin this much good karma, it has to do with the intensity with which our mind is grasping to something as self-existent. If we're not seeing the person or the situation in an ignorant or um, mistaken way, it's, it would be impossible to have anger. So anytime we have anger, it's just good to have all these little tools in our tool belt that we can pull out and sometimes one of them will work. You know, a lot of times one of them will work if we find the right one. But anytime we're angry at anything, at anybody, just think, okay, there's some misunderstanding. I'm not seeing this correctly. There's something, um, there's some ignorance here. There's something I'm thinking is self-existent. Whatever words are helpful. So every single time that happens, there's a misunderstanding. And to really be angry at someone, ignorance has to be at its peak. And you can really see this when you talk to someone else who's really angry. Because you can see they're being completely ridiculous, unless you get swept away with them too. But you know, if you're completely out of it, that it just seems so ridiculous to you. But to them, there's like some deep hold that they have. And even in a relative sense, it, it appears to be stupid, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And in the Dharma sense, it is. They're, they're not seeing something clearly. 
And even we can sense that when we're outside of it. When we're in it, it feels really strong and real and like life or death sometimes. So it's really good to be able to have something that kind of pulls us back. And then over time, it pulls us back more and more until at one point, we just see that the anger come up. And, you know, we experience it still, but we're not swept away and we're not acting crazy from it, you know. Which is really what we're doing, is acting totally crazy. Um, so Master Shanti Deva goes into the destruction from anger that we're aware of and the destruction from anger that we're not aware of. So this one, the anger destroys all this good karma, we may not have been aware of that. We are now. Um, but up until this moment, we may not have been aware of it because it's not obvious. It's not an obvious thing unless we could see exactly the workings of karma, which only a Buddha can see that. So I know I'm not at that point. I can't see that. So if anger is a habit in our lives, and maybe we see this in our own lives or we see it in others, but if anger is a really strong habit, so we all have strong habits in certain areas. If anger is our strong habit, then before we die, our world is progressively getting crappier and crappier. Like food is tasting crappier. Dharma teachings don't affect you. Um, you know, like people around you seem like jerks all the time. And, it's, and those, for people that this happens to, it is their real experience these things are really happening to them and it's not because the world is getting crappier it's just the result of the anger from from over and over and over through the lifetime so it's really it is it's really a sad thing to see that too um, because you can't talk someone out of their experience you know we might be sitting here having a different experience but we could have the exact same thing happen to us in the future if we're not careful with anger now. And not that we're talking about this tonight, but in the secret teachings or the tantric teachings, anger has a very profound effect on your spiritual body. It starts choking off certain channels. Um, and so if we're carrying on with anger, our world will start to change and we will have no idea why. So well, you walk into a restaurant or a store with someone like this and um, the store owner starts yelling at them and then they go outside and, you know, get yelled at by someone else or someone runs into them. And, you, you know, like I see people like this where this is their world and I have my own things that come up for me, but when you see that, that's the result of a lot of anger. And it's really sad because everything seems worse in their life because it is. Everything is getting worse. So the anger is destroying the good karma and then changing reality. So the problem with this one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you mind if I go into that uh, closet? Oh, no, sure. Okay. Yeah, help yourself. So this one is a problem that we can't really see directly. Um, it has to be explained and then we can work it out logically. Um, but interestingly, restraining anger is a sign of, a, of high spiritual realizations and being a great Buddhist practitioner. Um, and it's, it really is amazing when you come across someone who's really patient, who doesn't get anger. It's so admirable, I think. Um, Master Shanti Deva talks about really like who cares about these people who are meditating in caves for years. That's not what makes you a spiritual warrior. What makes you a spiritual warrior is not getting angry 
when all of the conditions are perfectly right for it. When your boss comes up yelling at you or someone accuses you of something you didn't do, that's a real spiritual warrior, not getting angry in those situations. Like any, any of us can go and just sit in a cave. Not that that's not hard too, but you know, it's really hard to not get angry when the time's totally perfect. So what he's saying, Master Shanti Deva is saying he's not impressed by people who go and sit in the snow for three hours or something like that. He says a great Buddhist can keep their cool under fire. So that's his point here in the patience chapter. So now we're moving into the problems that we can see from anger. So if we're able to overcome anger, then our store of good karma um, is powerful, it's protected, it's not being destroyed all the time. And what happens is the opposite of what we were saying, our body starts to feel better, um, we come into more money, we get raises, our relationships are great, and we're equally, we don't really know why, it's, you know, it's just the karmic seeds ripening, so the opposite's also true. So what you can see in your life The anger does ruin. Um, we'll go into this list after I reread the contemplation we just read, and then um, am I going to add on to? No. Okay. So I'll just reread this first one. A single instance of anger destroys whatever good deeds you have amassed in thousands of eons, spent in practices like giving or making offerings to those who have gone to bliss. There is no kind of anger as evil, there is no kind of deed as evil as the act of anger. There is no spiritual hardship like patience. Practice it then. Concentrate on patience in many different ways. So with that, with that contemplation, in a way, we just got our first realization, so it could be kind of scary to realize that a moment of anger can destroy that much karma. And it's probably a good thing if it's scary because it, um, it it'll, may motivate us to practice more. Part of the next contemplation. If you hold to the sharp pain of thoughts of anger, your mind can know no peace. You find no happiness, no pleasure. Sleep stays away, and the mind remains unsettled. Okay, so we went over the anger destroys our good karma. And now we're going over how anger ruins our happiness and our relationships. So anger is going to cause these five problems listed. Number one, your mind will never find peace. And we probably all know this just from experience. If you're really gripped by anger, it's so hard to let it go. You can't sleep. You just can't escape from it, really, because your mind's everywhere with you. You know, like the second you wake up in the morning, you remember it. It's just torture. So you just never get to the point where you can find peace um, beyond all suffering. And it, it just feels terrible. Number two, anger will ruin your happiness and your joyful, pleasant mood. It totally ruins the men your mental state as long as you have anger. And even the slightest bit of anger totally melts away all happiness. 
it it'll ruin you for a few hours maybe even a few days some people hold on to it for decades it it just ruins you number three anger will upset your body physically and prevent reaching the physical bliss of deep meditation so even physically it hurts your body like we'll get a stomach ache or um, we feel really tense um, maybe we can't eat really well so it causes those sufferings so those are more on the gross level and then on the subtler level we'll never be able to quiet the mind while we're angry if you've ever tried to meditate when you're angry your mind's just like hijacked constantly to that topic over and over you can't you can't focus you can't deeply relax it's really it's just like torture Number four, it prevents you from sleeping well. So I think we probably all know this one. Number five, it throws you off balance. Whenever you're angry, you're always off balance in some way and some part of your mind is constantly being pulled to that situation. So you can't stay steady or focused. It's really like anger is always pushing you around in a way. So these, these effects we can see in our life. Okay, so I'll reread that first and then I'll read the next two. So if you hold to the sharp pain of thoughts of anger, your mind can know no peace, you find no happiness, no pleasure, sleep stays away, and the mind remains unsettled. Suppose there were a master who bestowed upon all those within his care, both wealth and honor as they wished, still they'd rise to kill him if he lived in fury. It leaves your friends and family tired of being with you. They refuse to stay on, even though you may entice them with gifts. Okay, so the third one, anger begins with being upset, and it's useless to ever be upset. So what anger does is it destroys both you and your own happiness, and then it also destroys your relationships with families and friends, with family and friends. Whatever good relationships you have, the more anger you have, the more they'll be destroyed. And maybe, you know, maybe we've seen this, 10 minutes of anger can totally wipe out a relationship you've had for 20 years. So somebody says something in the heat of the moment, and you think that that's what they've been thinking the whole time you've, you've known them. Usually it's not, but you remember that thing and then um, you're not friends anymore. It's, it's just really sad. And Master Shantideva gives this example of a lord of a kingdom. So the lord of the kingdom, he's taking care of the people in the kingdom, he's feeding them, he's bringing them up, but he has a problem and he gets really angry. And what will happen from there? There could come a point where all of those people turn on him, even though he's taking care of all of them. He's feeding them, he's giving them money, he's giving them food. With that anger, people will turn on him and maybe even kill him. So that's what the, that's what the verse is talking about. And more in our lives, probably, in a family situation, people won't do this, but... Um, Mostly they'll just get sick of being around us and they'll either leave physically or leave mentally. So they'll just check out. They'll disassociate. Even if you're trying to buy them gifts and keep them in your life. Mm -hmm. 
sooner or later they get tired and go away. So maybe we've done this to people or have seen people who do this. Okay, we'll finish up this little part and then we'll take a break. Okay, so I'll read those last two stanzas again. Suppose there were a master who bestowed upon all those within his care both wealth and honor as they wished. Still they'd rise to kill him if he lived in fury. It leaves your friends and family tired of being with you. They refuse to stay on even though you may entice them with gifts. To put it simply, there is no one, there is no one with anger who can be happy. Anger, our enemy, brings us these and other pains as well. Okay. And this chapter begins with the problems of anger. So, like we talked about, first we're destroying massive amounts of good karma. So our friends end up leaving us, um, our partners don't stay, we lose our job, you know, all these hard things happen to us because of this. So if we do the opposite, then the opposite happens, then at an ultimate point, our body turns into a body made of light, and our mind turns into the mind of an enlightened being. So that's where the opposite leads. So that's an effect that we can't see. So the point of practicing patience is so that we can completely get out of the cycle of suffering, the ups and downs constantly, either big or small, and then we'll be able to help other beings get out as well. So we can help them by teaching them or showing them what we've learned. So the reason that's why we want to get rid of anger, so that we can do that. And even if we don't necessarily believe those things yet, or we're not sure about them, anger still destroys our own happiness in this life, physically and mentally. It's just like poison. Okay, 